is the, the science, the, our esoteric science. DK points out that this cosmic fire, uh, Trinism cosmic fire, is the physiological key to the secret doctrine. Right? And I am doing the astrological and the numerological keys. And of the seven keys, these are the main, are the most important three. Okay? Then there, there's the allegorical key and the symbolical key, which also uh, fits in with all of this. They're all included. And some of the symbolical key you're, I'm revealing to you a little bit concerning the reading of groups, for instance. So you can see that you need to study esoteric astrology quite well. So I suggest that the, some of you actually do some, a uh, you know, little bit of reading, memory work, trying to keep in your consciousness the most important aspects of the teachings that you get. I think that I'll be giving you an extended course on astrology, and obviously numerology will come with that. So I don't want you just to um, get the information, put it in a file somewhere and forget about it, and go next week and then get the next section and forget about it. I want you to actually try to work at uh, studying the, mm. the subject and be ahead of me if you can, it'd be really great. Now, last week we started off and finished with technically only one sign, which was Aries the Ram. And we're looking at the glyph of that. From the glyph, much of the symbolism of the ram and of the sign comes into perspective. Technically, the, the ram is down torn. Down, the horns are turned downwards. Normally, the, the ram is busy eating grass and it's on the plains, though there are some of the animals that, that do climb on, on, on um, rugged or raggy sort of um, terrain. Okay. It's, it's a grazing animal on the plains and downtown. So its focus is down into manifestation, into material plane activity, and it comes from a very high place downwards, as we went into the symbolism of the, the spiral of, of the horn itself. And once you understand spiral cyclic motion, or the three types of motion, the cyclic motion, which governs the actual activity in the material world, the activity of phenomena of the physical plane, of the lethargic type of consciousness of most of humanity, right? And so that's cyclic, that's rotary cyclic, and in a sense it's like the turning of the zodiac, but that's more spiral cyclic. And when you actually go to spiral cyclic motion, then first of all, the, the cyclic motion is just simply the circumference of the solar disk, the way it's drawn, just simply the circle. Right, and then within the ram's horn, you get the, the general shape of the circle. But within the circle, you have the spiral, which is spiral cyclic motion, and that's the motion of um, the evolution of consciousness, of the development of awareness. It goes from a center, and it moves from a center in a spiralic fashion to uh, towards the circumference, the rotary motion to move it. As a matter of fact, so it's that which produces the awakening of consciousness, the awakening of high perception. And then the other form of motion, which is the motion of the spirit, of the initiate, is forward progressive. So if the movement is not just rotary and spiral cyclic, but it moves onwards into space towards a goal to produce a purpose. 
And that forward progressive motion, of course, is the downturn horn of the ram to its point, which is the, the material plane. But to gain experience therein, um, to master it. And this concept of um, gaining spirit, experience in mastery in initial mental beginnings and its downturn focus upon the material plane, uh, gaining the green beverage. Green is the cycles of activity, of uh, the third ray and all the rays of mind. It's its purpose. And so it manifests into, it starts the cycle of activity, whatever the cycle activity is, um, in order to gain its purpose. And then projects it onwards into its custom space. Okay, so there you have the, the three aspects of the ram's horn, and within that is veiled the om sound, the A-U-M. And then you can get into all the different types of permutation of energy, electrical energy, magnetic energy, and physical plane energy, the energy of motion. So, you know, spiral cyclic energy produces light. Uh, rotary energy produces heat. Um, for protective energy, produces cosmic electricity. So, then the whole philosophy of energy. Okay, then it's the alpha and omega of evolutionary space, which is the symbolism of the horn. So, there you have the symbolism of Aries. The next sign is Taurus, and Taurus is another grazing animal. It's an animal that is specifically grounded on the earth. It plods away eating grass, and the other aspect of Taurus, of course, it makes milk. It um, feeds the little ones. It nourishes them with its milk. The symbolism of milk is actually quite important. I won't go into that now, but some of you can figure that out. But the glyph of Taurus is the cycle of spirit or the cycle of um, formed activity in this particular case. And the psyche, the Ida and Pengala Nadis rising out of the form. And technically, of course, it's Taurus the bull. That's the way it is written. But in reality, we have to think of Taurus the cow to, to get a better idea as to what Taurus is really about. It's the mother. It gives birth to, to the entire material creation, to all of the forms in manifestation. Wherever you get Taurus, there you get the concept of material compass. Uh, it's the sign of the home, the earth sign. And Aries starts off the entire motion, but Taurus brings it into what I call the astral plane, uh, into phenomenal appearance. Right. So Taurus is the field of desire. Everything that concerns the desire of the Logos to manifest form, to produce its form of evolutionary experience, to produce whatever comes out of a solar system, to produce the sun, or, you know, that sun, S-U-O-N, uh, as well as S-U-N, to produce the sun in time and space. So, so this particular desire is Taurian. So it's the great mother. We often think of Virgo as the, the mother, of course. And it's a, a Taurus also is the preeminent, in many ways, feminine sign. Aries is masculine. And you can see the, the concept of the sowing of the seed, the, the sperm into the womb of matter by means of the, the scent of that energy from the spiral down. 
um, but Taurus is that which receives that seed and fecundates it. It is the womb. So the entire glyph of Taurus is really the womb of, of space and time. And from this symbolism, uh, you get all of the ancient cow goddesses and everything that they, they mean. Hathor, the uh, sacred cow of India. Uh, we can go on with all of the, you know, the, the bull mystery of Mithras and so forth. So we can go into these ancient feminine cycle of religious experience, which is the, the Torah. So it's the earth. And so you can see both Taurus and Virgo are earth signs. And by now, you should all have memorized what I gave you the first week to do with the earth signs, the water signs, the fire signs, the air signs of the zodiac, uh, so that you can quickly relate the three earth signs, um, Virgo, Taurus, and Capricorn. And then you know that those three signs have a unity of function. They manifest this earthy quality of material manifestation of incarnation, which in a sense is the feminine, that which produces the birth of the child. And with Taurus, the whole motion of the zodiac, it pushes the wheel of the zodiac around. It simply is the energy, the force. And you can see this, this bull aspect. Um, it's, you know, it's quite a powerful animal. And it pushes the whole constellation of the zodiac around on its course. It's impetus by Aries, but the Taurus is the main mover. And it does that because it controls or governs the field of desire. And with regards to this field of desire, the pole opposite of Taurus is Scorpio, where desire comes into its most intensified um, aspect, form and in the field of sex. And it's, for me, I normally always, when I'm looking at Taurus, have to look at Scorpio. Um, the Taurus-Scorpio interrelationship is exceedingly important. And all of the pole opposites, you, well, once you deal with one side, automatically you should be looking at the other side. For instance, I think this full moon, we're in Cancer, and so... The effect is cancer, but it's the cancer Capricornian interrelationship, right? The sun may be in cancer, the moon may would then be in, in Capricorn. The opposites, one reflects the light of the other, where the other is. So going back to Taurus, therefore, and as I said, though the glyphs shows the two horns of the bull as one, in reality, it's the, the two, two sides, the Aida and Kangala, united at a, a point. And where they united is also where the circle of phenomena meets the rising aspiration of the psyche. And so the point of interrelationship of the three is the third eye. Another aspect of the Taurus is the eye of illumination the eye of the bull, the eye of wisdom, because in many ways the whole womb of Taurus is the movement of all the signs of the zodiac, and everything that the zodiac come to bring into manifestation is contained in Taurus. Therefore, it's the sign of wisdom. 
the eye of, as I said, the third eye, the eye of elimination. So we don't need to go too much more into that. And you get, therefore, the significance of this particular sign. It is one of the most important of all the signs whenever it appears because of its multi-function qualities. Not just with respect to humanity, but with respect to cosmos. It's um, one of the major signs that obviously rule the Atlantean civilization. Okay, so the psyche or the wisdom aspect, writing uh, of merging out of the form, out of the desire of material comforts and material life, of the homestead. So whenever you think of the hearth, the home, the, the function of the mother to look after the child and to sustain nourish that child and everything to do with domestication there you have Taurus and the energy of Taurus I'm not going to go into the um, point of view science at this stage, I mean the, the rulers which is more or less just looking at the symbols the third sign of the zodiac uh, going in this esoteric way is Gemini by the twins the twins are symbolized by the two pillars of the temple of wisdom in the Kabbalah, it's Yochum and Bayas. The two temples really relate to the Ida and Pingala Nights. And then they capped bottom and top by the top and bottom of, of the pillar of the temple itself. So it forms a type of rectangle. From Aries, which is the mental plane in Taurus, you move into the astral plane. The, as I said, Taurus is an astral, though it's an earth sign, it really governs the cosmic astral. And so you're moving from the mental to the astral plane. In, in Gemini, the whole process of the sense of incarnation of a logos, of, of phenomena, of the building of any mandala, goes from the mental to the watery that which colours it, that which encodes, uh, delineates all of its attributes, to the etheric, which is what Gemini represents. Gemini is the etheric body of the Logos. It's where all the nadis of manifestation are contained. Of course, uh, I mean, you know, all the nadis and the chakras. Of course, the astral plane's got its chakras, the mental plane's got its chakras, but the etheric web is Gemini. Therefore, Gemini, as in the secret often says, spins the web of photomodel, like the spider spinning the web that catches the, the fly, the insect. And so the entire nadi system of being is governed by Gemini. And you have, with this nadi system, therefore it rules the blood system, the nervous system, uh, that which is always flowing mutable, and that's part of its sign. But the twins, brother and sister, and one is immortal, which represents the soul, and the other is mortal, which represents the personality. And the whole sign of Gemini, therefore, is to move from a place, a state where the, the twins are always fighting and quarreling, and not getting on with each other to where they begin to hold hands and work towards the the open door 
of the mysteries that are veiled within this particular, the portals of this particular door of Gemini. So you can think of Gemini as the door veiling the holy temple, their ditcher. The, the sacred of sacred, the holies of holies is contained within Gemini because it's the sign that the immortal brother is the, the cosmic Christ and therefore it's the sign that veils the energy of the Christ principle. And so the symbolism of Gemini is to uh, fuse those male and female energies in a unified manner so that the love principle can be generated and discovered. And that is the Holy of Holies, the heart. Of course, Gemini establishes the heart of life. On the symbols that I see, that I've got here that represents Gemini, instead of having a flat top and bottom, there an arc pointing up and an arc pointing down. Is that correct? Sometimes you can have it like that. An arc pointing up, of course, is the immortal brother, uh-huh. or that which relates to the cosmic Christ. And the arc pointing down is the material brother, or yeah, the mortal, which points downwards. And then the pillar is uh, the Ida and Pingala Nadi that interrelate the two. So that's, that's, that is correct from that point of view. The other way of looking at it is that the top, if it's just a flat plane, is heaven, the domain of the gods, and then the bottom is hell, the domain, well, those that have died, you know, the psychic realms. In between is, again, the domain of life, where you can receive the mysteries of the kingdom of the gods. You can see from, from every aspect, the Gemini sign is one that allows you to gain the mysteries of of initiation and why is that because it veils all of the chakras as i said it's the nadi system and the whole chakra system is built in and gemini and so each chakra is a door uh, each chakra needs to be awakened by learning the qualities to open up the mysteries of that particular door that particular aspect of gemini that particular element so it's Ephraim, and Gemini, therefore, was one of the signs or the major sign that governed the Lemurian root race, the third root race, because they were Ephraim in consciousness. So you get Taurus, which is Atlantean, Aries, which is Aryan, and Gemini, which is Lemurian, when you're talking about the governing of the root races of evolutionary periods. The next glyph to understand is cancer and what we're looking at therefore is a process of the set of energies from the mental plane through to the astral from the astral to the etheric and now in cancer you're getting the process of birth cancer is a watery sign gemini is an air sign taurus is an earth sign and Aries is a fire sign so you get the the center of the elements those of you that have been mothers, which, well, all of you anyway, know quite well that it's not a pleasant experience. And it's preceded before the child is born, preceded by the rupture of the womb and, and the outpouring of water. That gives you an idea of the, the waters associated with cancer. It's an unrushing uh, flood of waters. It's the most watery or the most emotional of the signs. It feeds the emotions. 
the symbolism itself, the glyph, is really two, the two claws of, of the crab, right? And it manifests the yin-yang sign. I used to like in 1969 when I was actually alive, then I used to like 1969. I was an artist then, and I used to like signing 1969 the yin-yang because, of course, it was the male-female principle and everything to do with the mutability of those two forces uh, interplaying with each other. So all of you already have a fair understanding of yin-yang and what it means in the two energies, and that is the interrelationship between those two energies, the masculine and the feminine, produces the birthing of the child. So you've got the claws of a crab. Well, I can say, what type of crab is this? I like to go to the hermit crab because it hides in its shell. It's got a very, very soft undercoat, right? And it's, it's got a fire and a shell that can protect it from harm. And therefore, it's a quite a fearful animal. And that's the nature of, of the crab. The crab is one of mass movement, mass consciousness, mass incarnation. If any of you have been to the beach sometimes at sunset or early dawn, when all the little crabs, certainly up north of Australia, are feeding, they are out there in great mass, uh, all, all there sort of with their little um, claws um, digging around in the, in the um, mud, trying to get whatever nutrients they, they get out of that. And if you appear, they suddenly go scurrying back into the little hole. And that's the nature of, of the crab. It's timid, it's fearful, it's frightened of that whole material world that it's just incarnated into. It's a little child. All those little emotional energies that feed the Nadi system that Gemini has built. The esoteric and the exoteric are uh, intertwined. Remember, we're going into birthing. You know, the esoteric function of, of Gemini, as I said, was the chakras. The esoteric function of cancer is the fact that it's one of the arms of the cardinal cross. It's the southern arm of the cardinal cross, and therefore it's that in which the entire uh, creation as a grown of and throughout to get in pain, to quote St. Paul, Paul, is focused. I won't go into the esoteric. It's got to do with the mastery of the waters. Esoteric and hierarchical. But the moon also veils. And it veils Vulcan and Uranus. In this particular case, can also veil Neptune. It does because of the other two Neptunes, esoteric and hierarchical. But um, the moon is the psychic, the, the form, right? The psyche itself. So the other aspect of cancer that you've got to look at is the claw. The claw is tenacious. It will grab hold of whatever it desires, something pretty like a gem, and it will either lose its claw than let go of it. So it has this particular function of a first-ray attribute of obstinacy. The polar opposite of cancer, and this is the esoteric aspect of cancer, is that the polar opposite is Capricorn. So it opens up the door to the climbing of the Mount of Initiation. It is where the will is developed that allows you to climb out of the waters. In time, as I said, with Neptune, it necessitates.
takes the mastery of the waters in order to do so. And so then the instead of being fearful and timid and, and scurrying away, and, you know, away from the light of the sun uh, behind the rock and things like that, which of course is the, the moon, the darkness, uh, it, it, you know, it hides in, in that watery environment, it comes out and it learns to master that fear, masters, it conquers fear and becomes bold and resourceful. Okay, so at this particular stage, I'm just trying to give you an idea of the symbols of the signs of the zodiac, rather than going into in depth into the meaning of the signs. I'm just going to break it down so that that symbol represents it. It's got a bit like Gemini, an arc pointing down, an arc pointing up, but it's got basically then two spheres of consciousness on either opposing side of each arc. But so I was wondering what the the spheres might mean because there's two of them. Yes, I mentioned yin yang. You have to understand the whole symbolism of yin yang. But one of them is, of course, the descending, brooding consciousness of the diva kingdom, the, the watery demons, as they brood over manifestation. And then the other is the response of the evolving consciousness of the spheres of sentience in this particular sign. So you've got this, the brooding over of the feminine principle over its child. So one is the child and the other is the mother. And so the, the mother uh, broods over, nurtures the child, which you have this yin yang. And often when you look at some of these paintings of the Madonna and child, for instance, the Raphael's paintings, and you have in many ways this symbolism of cancer there, where the mother is over the child, and the child is technically on a breast, and her hair and head is the top part of the, the Cancerian symbol, and the child and its suckling motion is the bottom part with the mother's hand holding the child's head. So you get this symbol, um, one head with all, which is the, the greater head, head, and the child's head underneath. And that is sort of like a part of the symbol of cancer, where one aspect is that which feeds and sustains, nourishes the evolving form, and the evolving form at this stage is young, it's adolescence, it's child, um, it scurries here and there, it's fearful, and it has to be nurtured. And the energy from Capricorn comes down and produces the will in order to see this nurturing through. And that's the fortitude of the mother. The mother has to see the child grow. And this is what cancer does. Uh, you had a question? Yes. Uh, two, we will see two questions. The first one is related to the, the mastery of the emotions. Our thinking is probably wrong, but just because I want to clear out that our thinking that we could associate cancer because of the water and the mastery of emotion, we, we, we overcome this state of cancer, leading to the mother of the world or the daily kingdom. Is it something like that? Yes. It's, it's, these are cardinal signs, uh, the most difficult signs, because they don't really relate to humanity per se. They relate to, to uh, major forces in nature. Capricorn, Aries, Libra, and Cancer, cardinal signs. And they all veil hidden mysteries. They all veil aspects. 
of the first ray of, of cosmic principles. Uh, this particular um, case, you can look at the way that the cosmic astral merges the form, the cosmic physical. But in many ways, as I've said, it's the nurturing principle of the Diva Kingdom, whereas Capricorn is the, the mount of mind and cancer is that which in many ways can dissolve that rock into formed manifestation. So my other question was related to the fact that a crab is moving always sideways. What is the symbolism given to an astrological design with this movement? Yes, the sideways movement is the motion of the signs of the zodiac, the motion of the arc, the moving arc of light. If you're moving from sign to sign, this is the sideways movement of the crab, and it's following on the push of evolution from Taurus, the field of desire is Taurus. The manifestation of desire is cancer. So cancer is actually the application of the field of desire. And then the cancerian activity produces all of the rest of whatever happens in the material domain, allows it to happen because the form, the child has come into being. Cancer is always, always the sign of incarnation. And it can also be, therefore, the sign of disincarnation, the whole concept of resurrection. The wheel of birth and death is cancer, or is held by the claws of cancer. In the, the Tibetan version of the wheel of birth and death, it's held within, within the hands of a raffle deity, but that raffle deity is cancer in, in reality. So it's this regeneration happens in the later sun, but, but the birthing is, is the cancer site. So if you get the idea of, of the child coming out of the womb, then you get also the idea of the nature of the force of the first ray energy of cancer. It's a first ray cosmic projection of force from cosmic astral plane in order to produce the birthing of all of the fields of life in nature. So whatever appears in nature comes out of the womb that is cancer, that procreative force. So could we say that we could associate cancer sign to the initiation process? It's not the initiation process per se. It's what initiates all forms of cyclic activity, all forms of material plane activity. That which is born out of the waters. I was thinking that because of the birthing process, we could say the birthing of an idea or the birthing of a higher state of consciousness. So it is like acting like a door towards initiation, passing an initiation. Well, uh, of course it is the door, as I said. It's the pole opposite of cancer is Capricorn, which is the mouth of initiation. So there, for, for Logos, in cancer you get the individualization of a human kingdom. But for a Logos, that individualization of a human kingdom, which is the birthing process, is an initiation. It's like for every mother, that's a new mother. I mean, the whole experience of having the child in the womb and then giving birth, that is an initiation. That's something which men don't experience. But it's certainly an initiation of a certain aspect of life, of giving birth. So that is the polar opposite of Capricorn that brings that about. So it's an inverted initiation. But from cancer, the child that is 
born has to go through all of the process of life in order to gain initiation in Capricorn. Ten signs later or nine signs later. Okay, so exoterically, as we said, it's the moon that, that rules Cancer, and this is the, the psyche form, the, the feminine principle. I don't really like the always um, hark on femininity equals emotion. It's not really um, correct, of course, but it's the, the, the psyche, and often the, the psyche is equated with, with the feminine, whereas the mind is equated with you know, the will of the mind, with the masculine. Uh, one, one is receptive, and uh, the other one is projective dominant force. Okay, so we move on with our vision of this whole evolutionary process as the wheel of the zodiac turns, and we go to Leo. And Leo is the full birthing of the self-conscious individual. And cancer, in many ways, is the, the twilight. As I said, though, the crabs more or less early in the morning and, and at dusk. So we've got those two periods when it's the twilight of evolution, the twilight of activity. But with Leo, it's the full light of the sun. And therefore, the signs that rule Leo is the sun, sun, sun. And it's um, the physical sun, the heart of the sun, and the central spiritual sun. Uh, the heart of the sun is the soul, and the central spiritual sun is the monad. So we get and the physical sun, the light of the day, uh, the, the light of the soul, and the light of monadic evolution. So now, the symbol of Leo, uh, it's, it's quite a strange one. Can anyone guess? Does anyone know what it comes from? Well, it looks like the tail of a lion. That's right. It's the lion's tail. And it's the lion's mm. tail in the form of a whip in many ways. That's basically that which is the whip of the mind. It's when see, the child has been born in cancer and it's gone through its early evolution, its adolescence, so to speak. In Leo, it's growing its consciousness. It's the self-conscious, dominant individual. It's when... A, we use the term man, says, I am, I am me. So all of you know that this is what rules our present civilization, our present Aryan root race, is this Leoine sort of self-conscious, sort of separative, segregative individual. You go to Leo the lion, and what is the lion? Well, it, it's the rule of the jungle. And what is the jungle? It's materialism. It's our entire materialistic world. And it's the, the pride of the lion is the mind, or the mental emotions that governs all of that, and it roars out its, its prowess. I am supreme, as all of these materialists around us do. They like to rule their, their castles, their home environment, their work environment. They like to lord it over others. They like to have their lionesses around them, which they govern and they tame and you know, they, they, they control. You know, the, the pride and the herd. So Leo is the central figure of an adoring public around it. And it can be sort of their own adoring public, their own narcissistic sort of tendency. They've got their prowess, there may be physical plain prowess of being a, a uh, let's just say, a boxer or a sports person. So you get an idea, or the movie star, you get an idea, therefore, of this, the central figure of whatever is their private universe, the ego, pride. That's what's generated in Leo. This lion and basking in the sun of its own self-accomplishment, of its own glory. You can see quite clearly just the lion's tail, the whip part of it, that whips out its edicts, its uh, commands to 
the pride around it and the sun. Now, the esoteric, of course, is the, the spiritual sun and the, the heart of the sun, the central spiritual sun. In other words, in time, the Leonine individual has to master the self-consciousness, this egotistical activity, and become egoless, desireless. And so the whole um, field of life in the sun of life is symbolized by Leo, and eventually the, the lion has to become good conscious, has to let go of their uh, pride in their place of scheme of things and be part of a group. And so this type of um, self-consciousness to group consciousness is the entire theme of the evolution of the Leonine. In many ways, we can see the qualities of developing of the heart, the heart of life is what happens in Leo. Um, the heart center has to be awakened and developed and rule the mind. Therefore, it's quite, a, it's quite an important sign for, for this particular reason. Leo is quite simple, and most of you can work out all of the other ramifications from, from these types of clues that I've given you, of self-consciousness, self-importance, and that moving to group consciousness, where the group becomes more important than the individual. And that, of course, was the old tribal society where in ancient Europe you had the, the great tribes, the, the Goths, the Visigoths, etc., that, that came and swept through, they, they conquered Rome. And it wasn't the individual that was so much important, it was the whole tribe, like the tribe of the Indians. Um, you know, they'd lose their life gladly for the benefit of the tribe. But tribal consciousness is the Leonine energy. The pole opposite of Leo is Aquarius. And we move from the group consciousness of the Leo to universal consciousness in Aquarius, which we'll get to later. And so as I said, it's always important to look at the, the opposites of the particular sign in order to understand the sign you're in. Could we say that uh, it could be on the esoteric level the spiritual leader? Oh yes, of course. It's leadership on all, all levels, from egotistic pursuits to being the leader of a group. The group so heart we often think about esoterically, don't we? The lion is the, the Leo is the energy that brings the unity and the fires of the group of, of the heart of the group. That's right. The awakening of the heart, and in this particular case, the group conscious leader is as mastered self, and therefore does not come from the the power of the group conscious leader uh, should not be the individual self but hierarchy the greater group above it but of course you can see in many many groups you have a very dominant central leader and they've made themselves the boss so to speak then you have all the supplicants the the acolytes that bow and worship this particular leader this spiritual leader and you can look at the spiritual leader in terms of being the leader also of a business, an army on the move and so forth. This is all Leonine. But the esoteric Leo is when the soul takes control and the soul rules, not the mind. And therefore the self-consciousness dies and is um, taken over by the group conscious soul. So there's Leo, and Aquarius, as I said, it takes the next step um, upwards when we go to universal. Okay, we, we are rapidly moving through these signs, and I hope you're enjoying all this. Leo, incidentally, that's the proper circumscription of the sun. So the sign and symbol of Leo, in many ways, is the, the circle with the dot in it. 
the sun is at the full height of its glory. And as I said, the esoteric, exoteric, and hierarchical rules are the sun. Incidentally, in my secret doctrine, uh, when I'm doing that, I mainly have to focus upon hierarchical rules because I'm dealing with cosmic principles. I'm dealing with the formation of things. The esoteric ruler is the rulership of the disciple, the one that's working to become an initiate. The hierarchical ruler is that which governs the initiate consciousness when the consciousness is universal, uh, is uh, identified with the spirit or the soul aspect, no longer with the form, the personality. Uh, so the esoteric ruler is when the consciousness is turned about and you're aspiring to become enlightened. The average planetary ruler is, or the orthodox ruler, is when the person is self-involved in themselves. The average personality, their downward focus, and their little world of whatever they are doing is, you know, the great illusion, what we call the great illusion, is their whole environment. The esoteric ruler is when you're moving away from that and focusing upwards to the soul or to the spirit and you're bringing in, in those energies, and they're starting to dominate the world of the personality. And the hierarchical ruler is when you live totally as a fully awakened initiative. Uh, so you now have an idea uh, of these these three rulers. And therefore, when, for instance, I would be looking at your charts, I'd be mainly looking at your esoteric ruler and sometimes aspects of your orthodox ruler and occasionally we would have a, a tendency to look at the hierarchical ruler but until you're fully awakened it, those influences just come through at your high points so to speak when you're fully manifesting some really enlightened you know, zone of activity but when cosmic and, and my, my cosmogenesis I actually have to look at the hierarchical ruler nearly all the time because of course we're dealing with the causes of things the domain of Logos, which is hierarchical. That hopefully should enable you to understand three and apply them. We're moving to Virgo, and this is the first of the signs of the zodiac that is triune. So you have three legs, so to speak, um, going downwards, and they join by a little squiggle, uh, like a lion's tail at the top. Yeah, so all of you know the Virgo symbol which I'm uh, explaining to you. But this trinity, this, the, it, the, it's a triune sign because uh, it, is, it concerns the interrelationship between the spirit, soul, and matter. The three have to be balanced in, in the material domain. The mother, the father, and the son, the consciousness principle. So, as you know, it's a feminine sign because it is the sign, preeminently the sign of the Diva Kingdom. It, they govern, they embody all that is form. And we live in the cosmic dense physical, and therefore we live within the domain of the Great Mother. Because of this triune forces that we've just discovered father, son, and mother, uh, the father, son, and child, father, mother, mother, giving birth to the child is the the Virgo. And so you've got the whole symbolism of that 
cosmogenesis of the interrelationship between the father and the mother so that the child is born. And as I said, this birthing of the child and all the forces that are in the womb, within the mother, that go to produce the child so it can be born is Virgo. And therefore, it's all the forces that produce the phenomenal, the appearance of things that produce samsaras, that act upon and impinge upon samsara so it can be produced. So the sum total of all forces uh, affecting samsara is Virgo. And numerologically, the, the number is 22. So whenever I look at 22, I'm technically looking at the forces that pertain to Virgo. Why is that? Because I say there's 12 zodiacal signs and the 10 astrological, 10 planets. Now, I use 10 in this particular case, though esoterically there's 12 and exoterically there's only 7. But of the 12 esoteric planets, two of them, which are the sun and the moon, veiled, that leaves 10. You know, the 22 formative forces are the 22 uh, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And this brings in the entire Kabbalistic philosophy. So if you're going into Kabbalah and you want to go into that form of system of, of understanding uh, the nature of phenomena in the universe, you are looking at the formative forces of Virgo. Uh, the fire signs, all the Hebrew letter names of fire are written in fire. And the, those fire signs, those letter names, uh, you know, Elf, Beth, Gimel, Delph, etc. Anyway, these are all the formative forces that constitute the womb of Virgo. So it's Earth for a good reason. Uh, according to DK, it's one of the most ancient of signs. And uh, obviously so, because it's the Diva Kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Virgo is cosmically uh, seen as the woman holding uh, ear of wheat. And that ear of wheat is the golden grain of every solar form, whether it's a solar system, whether it's a planetary form, whether it's the soul itself. That is what Virgo holds in her hand and what she gives birth to. And, of course, that then is planted, planted in the fertile earth. And the, the nurturing, all of the forces, the elements, the energies that go into fertilizing the earth are the other 11 signs of the zodiac. They condition the earth and then Virgo plant the seeds. She is the one um, that uses all of those energies in the right cyclic time, in the right manner, in the right way, so that the child can be born. That makes sense to you? So her pole opposite is Pisces, which is the ending of the sign of the zodiac, the ending of all experience. So she plants, and then, if you want, Pisces reaps. We'll go into Pisces later. So there's the three legs of, of Virgo, and a little squiggly sign. It's, I don't know quite uh, what to make of that. We, we can look at it in terms of of version of the lion's tail that uh, has to awaken out of what has been planted, that has to grow. Do you think that's got something to do because um, as others might know that at one stage Virgo and Leo were, were one sign? Oh yes, 
Well, of course, Leo Virgo is the, the Sphinx, yeah. and the whole mystery of the Sphinx comes into this. And the mystery of the Sphinx is what? It's the birth of spirit into matter. The way it's the descent of monadic life from cosmic space into form space. So Virgo is the, the substance of the womb, and the Leo is all of those group souls that come to be born in the substance of the womb that must therefore evolve. So this mystery of the Sphinx is also the relationship of two kingdoms. The fourth kingdom in nature, which is humanity, Leo, and the fifth kingdom, which is the Diva King, Virgo. That which is the mind in application is Virgo, and that which is the soul in evolution is Leo. And that is the this part of the mystery of the Sphinx. It's the relationship of the human kingdom to the Diva kingdom, to that which is the principle of, of life, if you want, the heart, which is the um, human kingdom, and that which is the embodying form, which is the Diva kingdom. And the two need, need each other to evolve. They are interwoven. So there you have Virgo. As I said, we could go into the planetary rulers and exoteric, hierarchical and so forth, rulers of all these signs, but I won't at this stage because I want to mainly just focus upon the, um, the glyphs rather than... And then later on we, we can go back to the glyphs and go to the signs, the rulers and so forth. Yeah, it is also the symbol of fertility, you know? Well, of course it is, because it's that which, which is planted. As I said, the wheat is to be planted, the rolls and grain is to be planted, and, and the fertile earth. And so that mm -hmm. fertile earth are the Diva Kingdom. It's all of the energies of the 12 signs of the zodiac poured into it. And that's, again, the fertility. Yes, of course. And Virgo is intelligent. It's the personification of intelligence. It's feminine intelligence. It's the, the intelligence that, that allows it to, to build the home or to look after the child. Okay, so it's all of those types of energies that, as you said, produces the fertile ground for the mind itself to evolve. We can look at the sign of the zodiac going two ways, of course. One is from Leo, which is the way we're going, to Virgo. Another way is from Virgo to Leo, in which case we get the ground being prepared and then Leo is that which evolves out of the ground. The self-conscious unit. Later on, you'll all learn to be a little bit ambidextrous in the way that the signs of the zodiac move. The next sign is another difficult sign to explain a little bit, to explain properly, of course, because it's another one of the cardinal signs, which is Libra, the balances. And uh, the symbol of Libra is simply the the top part of the balance, which holds the scales. And you know, the scales in this particular case. There's two pans, and then the, the bottom part just is a very, very quick symbolic representation of one line that symbolizes the pans that are wide. It's relatively a simple explanation from that point of view, but again, it's another dual sign. The thing that is missing, and sometimes I like to put it in, is actually the central support of the pans and then the scales that hold the pants, and so the, the male and the links, the rope that holds the two pants. So you get a trinity within the two. The reason why I have the central column is because what I wrap around this 
central column of the pans is the dragon. It's one of the hidden, it's a, it's a sign that actually veils the significance of the dragon. And the dragon is what actually holds the scales in its mouth. And what are the scales, of course? It's the left and the right hand and pans, what is contained in the left hand and right hand pans. Um, that's karma, and it's the manifestation of karma. It's the scales of justice. But esoterically, in one pan is the 12th sign zodiac, which is the heart center, and the other pan is the 10th sign zodiac, which is the solar plexus center. And it's the relationship of the heart center to the solar plexus and the forms of activity that is produced in either that is weighed. And the, the, the scale either goes towards the heart or towards the solar plexus. Now, all of you here know the difference between what is heart-based, illumined consciousness, and what is personality-based, a solar plexus consciousness. So, um, one, the solar plexus consciousness, the solar plexus is a 10-petal um, lotus, and the heart center is a 12-petal lotus. And there's two types of zodiac associated with this, where there's two sides of the zodiac and the 10-petal lotus that is missing, which are complete. And the two signs normally um, are Aquarius and Pisces, though there are other ways of eliminating those two signs. But whichever way you look at it, um, one um, sign of the zodiac, one pan is the 10 sign zodiac and of the mind and of the deep kingdom, and the other pan is the 12 sign zodiac of the heart and of the human kingdom. And so it's again weighing the interrelationship between the two. What all of you have to understand in this great mystery to do with Libra, and I'm trying to explain a mystery, it, it, you know, the, uh, the mystery of the cardinal signs, they're not e easy to properly understand cosmically, symbolically, is this um, the fact that you, me, we all have incarnated into Diva, into the Diva kingdom. We've appropriated Diva substance. Our bodies of manifestation is Diva. Yes? Is that not so? And that is the left hand, right? That is what causes karma. As we work with the divic substance, we create a karma with the divic kingdom. And as we struggle to awaken the potency of the right pan, in other words, of the heart, we are trying to relinquish our attachment to diva substance. Now, everything to do with our emotions, our moods, our anger, our mind is divic. So you can see again, it brings into balance the mystery of the Sphinx. What you're trying to do, each one of you, as you become enlightened, as you take your fourth initiation, is to relinquish your attachment to the divas of the lower, of the lower four mm -hmm. in the column, mm -hmm. the elements of the form. And when you finally gain liberation from that, you attain shunyata. You're in either pan. You're actually in that central column where the dragon is woven around. And so the symbolism of Libra is also this evolution of the dragon from the, the serpent to the full-blown dragon of wisdom that holds this pan, the pans in its mouth.
Okay, therefore you have the symbolism of Ida, Pingala and Shushumna Nadi. When you master karma, you liberate the fires. You work with the liberating fires and you become not human, not diva, but a fusion of both. You meld the two into one form. That is the, the symbolism of Libra and the symbolism of your evolution. Uh, that fusion process happens at the sixth initiation when you become a Dion Kohan a divine being of uh, a meditation substance it's called liberated you're not human you're not diva you're both fused both qualities and the second initiation is the beginning the marriage of this whole process the fourth initiation well the second initiation well the fourth initiation is proper marriage and consummation the sixth initiation is the liberation and the second initiation uh, you learn courting yes Okay, it's when you learn the qualities and the properties of the demons and you fall in love with them. And the demons fall in love with your heart. And so they're courting each other. And the fourth is the marriage and the sixth is the consummation. Okay, but there's the whole history of human evolution, if you want, of human deeper evolution, and the mystery of the Sphinx. And so this mystery is resolved in Libra. Uh, it's a difficult sign because it's uh, a sign of meditation. It's the sign of balancing. It's the interlude between outward manifestation, one pan, and you know, out, out breathing and in breathing. So one is out breathing, which is one pan, the diva pan. The other one is in breathing, which is the heart pan. And you have to actually balance the pan so they're both equal. And that is the holding of consciousness and meditation, where all of your liberating experiences are obtained. They're the holding of the breath, so to speak. You're in dhyana, you're in meditation absorption, and it's the noted one. So you now have a concept of what dhyana is. It's um, either in-breathing or out-breathing, but holding of consciousness, steady and fixed intent upon a visualization, a purpose a world sphere in the case of a logos and as we learn more and more the art of meditation we actually have to hold in consciousness an image of what we're creating and for instance this is part of the mystery of taking the third initiation why you're it's focused upon the mind because you have to learn to be creative for instance if you're writing a book as I do, sometimes I actually have to hold in consciousness and work out in one breath, so to speak, a whole sequence of events of whatever I'm writing about. And it's a timeless sequence, and it's, it explains to me a lot. And it can be a whole universe and a link at the same time. So you understand this, this process of Diana is when revelations come. You're absorbed in it. And you're neither breathing inwards or breathing outwards. You're simply absorbed in the revelation. And you're meditating upon what it signifies. And then you wake out of that and you put pen to paper and you might spend the next half hour writing, which is the out-breathing of what you received in that dhyana state. And the same then happens in your meditations when you sit to meditate. Does all that make sense to all of you? So this is astrology, and you can see how the Buddhism fits in with it, uh, and it's all universal. So what you learn in Buddhism, you apply it to this, and 
what you acquire in your esotericism, you can then put into Buddhism. Okay, so this is the sign of libra. It's difficult to explain because it's the balance, it's the interlude between in and out breathing. And you can understand what is meant by the fire breathing dragon now. It's that fire that you generate that that holds consciousness, this mandala, and then you can breathe it out as that which burns up samsara. I have met a few women Libras, and they are very difficult to understand. Until such a time, they have managed to find a focus in their life, and then they can be very powerful and very good. For example, a woman Libra, I remember the day she started to practice meditation, she was more certain, more centered person. Uh, what you have to develop mm. is re refined consciousness. Mm. It's airy. Yeah. And so it's a very, very refined, delicate, um, exquisite consciousness once they've worked it out. But they can gyrate from either into either pan. And yeah. there's a problem with the different. Yeah, you know, they're the judge. Uh, they can be impartial, but they can also be quite biased. And I, I, I wanted to just also make a remark about the symbolism of Libra. Mm -hmm. If you look at these two horizontal lines and with this little hoop in, in the middle, it, it is like a, a state of consciousness which emerges into this, this um, the being who mm -hmm. is the Libra at one stage to equilibrate, to balance these two aspects of inertia, if you want. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. The liberant can be therefore quite indecisive because of that, because they can't make up their minds, and they have to learn to be the right judge. Or else, it can be very, very heavily biased, weighs down pan um, in an erroneous way. When the judge um, is biased, then you know whole nations can crumble. And um, that's a problem right now in our Western societies, especially in America, where you've got. The judiciary that's been now compromised by their wealthy elite, and so yeah. they make the most egregious um, crimes against humanity, such as, for instance, allowing Monsanto to have patent for life.